Welcome back to Conversations for the Good. Hello, Dr. Jane. Good morning, Anna. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm just fine. I'm just fine. Good to be here. It is. And well, another week. You know, I allowed myself to luxuriate in in a few favorite distractions, and I dove into the concentration practices. Aren't you proud of me, Doctor? I absolutely <laughs> am, Anna. You get you get gold stars for that one. Yes. <laughs> well, all is good. All is good. But I also realized that so much of what's pulling me and many others I spoke with this week tends to be the chaos circulating in our communities, our schools, the country, and quite frankly, the world, you know, and we're hit with our own personal stress of everyday life. In addition, the never ending saga of the pandemic, polarized politics, of course, wars, inflation, and now the monkeypox. Oh, yes, yes. Oh. Goodness, it's it's like negativity is in the air, Dr. Jane. So it wears me out just thinking about it. Uh, escapism some days feels like the trap door of relief. Oh, I get it, Anna. I get it. You know, the pandemic created a global sense of uncertainty. You know, and our lives were suddenly extremely limited and were cooped up and, and contact with others changed abruptly. You know, in fact, contact with others became a source of worry and angst. Yes, and these changes seems to go on endlessly. And we all said, surely this will be over soon and we can all get back to normal. And then we started calling our daily routines the new normal. But in the back of my mind, I was sure that we would soon return to the old normal. (laughs) And now I wasn't alone. I know I wasn't alone in thinking this. Well, Anna, and I'm sure you're right. You know, the impact of the pandemic is still seen everywhere and it continues. Let's let's just face that fact. You know, our routines and our activities are really dictated by the ongoing discovery of these variants that keep showing up of, of COVID. Yes, uh, just when vaccines were available and we thought surely life would return to normal and there and there was a light at the end of the tunnel But then those new variants hit us. It was hard not to be discouraged. Well, yes. Yes, we also found that even those of us who were extremely careful, you know, living very responsibly, you know, many people contracted the Omicron variant. Yes, and doing all the right things and we still get hit. (laughs) You know, it's, it's clearly that there is no fair play in the virus game. That's right. That's right. You know, and and mental health workers around the around the country uh, reported a continuous rise in depression and anxiety disorders. You know, so they they also highlighted um, and they continue to highlight a particular emphasis on agitated depression. You know, that kind of depression that that really um, sets us up to have an inability to sit still or access any kind of calm. It's it's a very dysregulated. Uh, uh, component to our mental and emotional well-being. Yes, and the distancing and sheltering was hard on all of us, no matter how old we are or what our jobs happen to be. So many losses in lifestyle and the loss of life as we knew it. Well, Anna, and and loss is central 
to the overall impact of the last couple of years. Let's face it, you know, loss of, of life for thousands, loss of control of our lives, loss of trust of authorities, you know, the political divide contributed to this global sense of loss with all the conflict regarding, regarding mandatory masks and homeschooling, return to school, uh, social distancing, vaccines, you know, and wherever we find loss, there is also grief. You know, grief can weigh heavy and and often we misinterpret it. You know, it, it can feel like agitation or anger or uh, an overall sense of melancholy or even depression, you know, kind of an emotional numbness, you know, or a lack of, of interest in, in things that we used to find pleasure in or, and really a drop in our vitality. Yes, Dr. Jane, you, you know, you said often that we each interpret our emotional state very personally individually. And so everyone hasn't necessarily been feeling the same these last two plus years. Oh, that's right. You know, and we tend to interpret our experiences based on our own personal conditioning, our backstory, and the whole array of our beliefs. So working from home may have been revered by many, and yet resented by just as many, you know, depending on the lenses through which we happen to perceive the experience. Um, for some, it meant the loss of connection with the the team at work, you know, those those bonds with coworkers, those lovely chats over the water cooler, you know. <laughs> and for families, it meant not being with loved ones, you know, even at times of great need or, or even at a deathbed. So the widespread impact of the pandemic brought so many changes and losses in so many, so many arenas. You know, it caused an even greater political divide than we experienced previously. You know, who are we supposed to believe with all the conflicting and contradictory information touted by the so-called experts in the news media? You know, we were hit individually and collectively as communities, really the world. Yes, and it's been a, a, an overwhelmingly challenging time. And we're still experiencing the rever reverberation, I should say, of, of it all. Yes, yes. And the impact of the grief is seen everywhere as a global fatigue. You know, it's, it's like a massive burnout, feelings of being disconnected and, and ineffective in our lives. Doesn't that pull in much of what we've talked about recently in our conversations and, you know, and a way back to the beginning of our discussions as well? You know, burnout, grief, helplessness. Let's talk some more about the effect of swimming in this negative soup for two plus years. Well, you know, grief plays um, plays in our lives and and in our physiology and our thinking, in our emotions. I mean, it's, it's mental, emotional, you know, and and also grief uh, enters into our relationships and our our sense of self esteem. You know, the residual effects of present in many, many different ways. You know, it could be a sleep disturbance or maybe there's a shift in our eating habits. We can feel it as a, like an emotional numbness or even an emotional roller coaster. And sometimes we have this uh, trouble all of a sudden concentrating or, or paying attention to things. You know, and as we've talked in before, you know, because we're feeling, you know, ill at ease, you know, we might be drawn to increased alcohol or drug consumption, you know, or social withdrawal or um, so many of us experience the increased angst and anxiety, worry, even fear. And then there's always the depression and, 
and that you know sense of indecisiveness. I can't make up my mind. I because I, I can't predict the future. There's all that uncertainty. So very often there is that that shift and and that causes a lack of of goals or, or dreams that we might have held that kept us going. Dr. Jane, I'm exhausted just hearing that many symptoms. Mm-hmm, yeah. Oh my goodness. We've all been at significant risk in the last two, two plus years, and clearly we continue to be at risk. Well, that's right. You know, and the variable that plays into this prolonged situation most abundantly is the ongoing sense of uncertainty. You know, that's that's so more apparent in our lives, in our daily lives. And where there's uncertainty, there's there's fear. Yes, uncertainty, you know, like what's going to happen next. That's right. Like, yeah, like the Omicron BA2, BA4, BA5 variants, you know, the surges and cases, flu season around the corner. It's safe. You know, is it safe to travel? Is it not safe to travel? We're playing virus roulette and who knows what will surface next uncertainty. Oh, yes, Dr. Jane. (laughs) Yes. And then on top of the virus game, we have the political conflict escalating as we approach the November election. You know, there's this talk of civil war, you know, which would have been unthinkable a handful of years ago, you know, and the uncertainty regarding the economy, inflation, recession, you know, who knows for sure what's going to play out. Oh, yes. And as we widen our focus, we have such dreadful global unrest and warring fractions in Europe. Also, the climate crisis that often gets shuffled into a corner. It's no wonder we want to turn it all off, escape, you know. And yet, I'm I'm most aware of an exhaustion, a heaviness, and fatigue. You often use the term of pushing the boulder uphill. <laughs> And most of us are there and the boulder feels very heavy, Dr. Jane, like we could lose our grip and the boulder would win the downhill race. I don't mean to be such a downer, but it does feel impossible some days. And I know that I'm not alone in these feelings. Oh, Anna, I don't think you're alone at all. You know, and and we've touched on this in earlier conversations, you know, that the, the prolonged stress that we're experiencing often results in what is called a negative bias. You know, this is a shift in the lenses through which we see the world. They become saturated with the negativity that we perceive. So it really colors everything. You know, and keep in mind, it all tends to be very subjective, you know, like, like fingerprints, you know, some may feel overwhelming sadness, you know, others can't access the energy to do anything, you know, and it feels like maybe, nothing really matters or um, that our feelings are, are, are stagnated. You know, there's also, as we've mentioned, you know, a sense of helplessness and hopelessness that may be prevalent or, or even the feelings of being trapped. And we've talked about how devastating, you know, that feeling of trappedness can be for us. You know, it's, it's the worst kind of stress. Maybe we feel some of every item you named, you know, and, and we yeah. each respond differently to these feelings. Some of us stuff the feelings and others act out their feelings. Well, and that's when things get interesting. You know, as you say, some of us hold our feelings in or repress them or deny them. And and keep in mind that these are defense mechanisms. It's, it's not like we're consciously lying to ourselves or to anybody else. The feelings tend to move underground. It's really for the safety of our psyche. So for others, their feelings may be acted out. They might find themselves, you know, angrier or 
operating more aggressively, you know, feeling a lot of resentment toward themselves or others, you know, particularly others who they perceive to be responsible for any, any slight that they might experience, any insult or injury. Things can get so ugly so fast. Reactivity at its peak makes things worse. So let's talk about what we can do in these tough times. Well, let's do that, Anna. You know, the key is always, bottom line question, what do we have control over? You know, these uncertain times can can be very, very grim, but it's still life on life's terms. This is what's happening currently. You know, and these are times when the hero within each of us may hear the call. You know, times when part of us is unwilling to throw in the towel, um, or I should say that some some of us are are saying we want to throw in the towel, you know, of helplessness and hopelessness. Yes. But then there's another part of us that says, "No way!" And this is not this is not to be considered superficial or kind of a, a Pollyanna move. You know, the hero recognizes the hero within recognizes the terms that life has put upon us, yet refuses to succumb to the negative pressures of the world around us. You know, if anything, the negative pressures sometimes assist in the discovery of unrealized strength and potential of the hero within us. It galvanizes the hero's meaning and purpose. We're harvesting the gifts from these tough times, you know, finding the pearls and the grit, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. It's such a beautiful sentiment, yet at times it seems so far out of reach. Well, you know, Anna, and that's exactly where we we may begin to fail ourselves. You know, we perceive a possibility that's attractive and it surely aligns with with what we want, but then the self-limiting beliefs are released and we get derailed with how to make it happen. And within moments, I mean, it's a very short period of time, the positive idea dwindles, you know, it's kind of dead in the water, you know, and we're saying to ourselves, never mind, I can't do that. Or, oh, it's no use. It's no use. Just forget it. You know, when we find ourselves feeling listless, that, that sense of the lack of motivation, foggy kind of thinking, apathy, you know, and, and this emotional uh, mental state has often been referred to as languishing, you know, the state, the state of stagnation, you know, feelings of, of emptiness very often accompany this languishing. Yeah. I recall the term languishing in our conversations we had way back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also, yeah, I also recall the one of the initial helpful response we can have to face it, um, you know, turn toward it like you suggest with all negativities. Well, that's right. You know, wh- what we want to do is identify it, you know, call it out. You know, this is referred to as naming to taming. You know, this process brings brings that negativity into full consciousness, and that often helps to really diminish its power over us. This is where the hero steps forward and names the demon, you know, names the dragon, and seeks ways to defeat it or remove it if possible. You know, this is the point of determination when the hero leaves the status quo or what we've referred to in past conversations as ordinary life, you know, and the hero has no idea how things will play out. But because we're called to proceed with honor, integrity, and compassion, we move forward. We move into it rather than away from it. The call to the next right thing. Yes. Yes. 
the call to right action, mobilizing action from the the best version of ourselves. You know, identifying what is the disturbance, what's 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 eating me up, what's affecting me, and really assessing the disturbance. You know, what are my thoughts about it, my feelings? How is my body responding to it? You know, what are the impulses that continue to fuel the disturbance? And then following the call to right action, making a conscious choice to carve a path of resistance that moves us away from the disturbance so that we can see it for what it is, you know, but we're keeping our eyes on it. We know what's going on. We trust the guidance that accompanies the commitment to do the next right thing. You know, we, we really are, are fueling the commitment to do the right thing on a daily basis. And we fuel it with right action. It's not just thinking about it. It's like, what am I doing differently? Well, I'm inspired, and yet I also recognize this is a tough call. We're weary and fatigued, and there's no end in sight, surrounded by negativity. It can be a lonely move. Well, and and isn't that the hero's call? You know, the heroine doesn't wait for others to climb on board. You know, the call is powerfully individual, you know, and, and others may at some point be inspired to join us, but the hero within us launches alone. That's the power of the commitment to right action. It's immensely compelling. You know, the hero is armed with acceptance and courage. Acceptance and courage. Dr. Jean, let's explore these a bit. Well, you know, Anna, when we talk about acceptance, um, this is when we allow ourselves to be with whatever is taking place in the moment without judgment or criticism. You know, it's it's the willingness to see the person, the situation, as it is, as they are. You know, acceptance is is a, a willful act. It's a conscious choice. It doesn't mean that we like or condone something. You know, and this practice, the practice of of acceptance, is very active. You know, because it's it's an active practice in seeing ourselves in the world. You know, and it lessens that gap between the way things are, what is. And the way we think they should be. There's that should word again. And again, it's not a passive resignation to a person or situation. It's not about liking or condoning anything. It doesn't mean that we allow others to mistreat us. And it doesn't mean that we can't work uh, toward change. But we start where we are with what is. And we learn to do this through practices, right? Yes. Yes. The process and the practice of awareness begins with that present moment awareness that we've been talking about. It's being open to our inner experiences, what's happening within me in response to what's happening outside of me. You know, and this is done by cultivating that observer self part of our consciousness, allowing our thoughts and our feelings to be just as they are, letting them be, letting them move through us. I recall a conversation we had on courage it was quite a while ago. Yes. Yes. I think we did a whole conversation on courage. And it's important to remember that courage isn't the absence of fear, but it's moving through fear, you know? Yes. And in that long ago conversation, I cited a quote that I still dearly love uh, by John McCain, you know, and, and it really solidifies the hero's call in challenging times because Mr. McCain said that courage is that rare singular moment of unity between conscience, fear, and action, 
when something deep within us strikes the flint of love, honor, and duty and makes the spark that fires our personal resolve. So it's in doing the next right thing, even when we may not get the results that we want, we act because we believe in our hearts, in our hearts, that we must do it, no matter how scary. Oh, yes. And this is another place that requires practice. Well, and and sometimes the courage arises within us spontaneously, you know, in the moment, you know, when that when that rises within us, we're, we're called to right action. However, I also contend that courage can also be a practice. You know, the word is derived from the Latin root cur, which means heart. So it means to allow our hearts to guide us through the fear. So the practices that help to support us stepping out of conditioned behaviors, you know, the practices would would allow us to uh, realize our intentions, really clarify a, a path of honor and integrity. This would include a whole array of the mindful awareness techniques and that we've talked about um, from the beginning of our conversations. That's right, Anna. That's right. You know, and keep in mind, we don't access courage without an element of fear or uncertainty, you know, either present or anticipated, you know, and the best way to cope with fear, um, which, as you recall, triggers the primitive ga- uh, brain that that fight, flight, freeze, you know, so the because of that triggering of the primitive brain, um, a practice that supports it will always be a practice of self-regulation. You know, things like um, uh, the emotional freedom technique, the EFT, the tapping the meridians to dissipate the negative thoughts, the negative feelings. You know, also the concentration practices like the welcoming breath and the three-minute breathing space or, or even that lovely quieting technique, um, the relaxation response. All of these support moving out of reactivity into a calmer, quieter place which enables us to access the thinking brain and also the language of our hearts. Yes, engaging these practices. And any, is there anything else, Dr. Jane? Well, I, you know, Anna, I think it's important that we continue to turn toward our fatigue and inquire into it. You know, what's up with me? You know, what are the thoughts and feelings that might be fueling my listlessness? You know, what do I want? What am I not getting? And what am I willing to do to make it happen one day at a time? Keep it simple one day at a time. Practices and inquiry, a beautiful combination. Thank you, Dr. Jane. Thank you, Anna. Until our next conversation. <laughs>